It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the story tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. Welcome to This Week in the Big East. This is episode number five for our 2022 look at the teams, coaches, players, and stories from the schools in the Big East Conference. I'm John Rook with Kevin McNamara. As the calendar now turns a page into February, it's entirely possible there's a changing of the guard in the Big East as well. Providence maintains a hold on first place like a hungry dog chewing on a bone. And while perennial champ of preseason number one Villanova is far from out of it, they're currently in the two spot. Marquette has shown it belongs right in the middle of any title discussion. UConn and Xavier are both within three games of the top spot with a month left to play in the regular season. And all teams I just mentioned are nationally ranked, playing the role of heavies in a heavyweight title fight. Kev Nova has some company at the top to contend with, though, and I think that's really the thing that drives me right now in terms of what's going on in this league. No, it's uh, certainly a, a newcomer to the mix here with Providence off to that outstanding nine and one start. And John Villanova can just thank Marquette for its uh, shortcomings right now. Marquette with a sweep over Villanova. This does not happen. It's only happened twice in the last, uh, well, since the Big East was reorganized, Creighton in 2014, Butler right. in 2017. Right. Uh, you and I both know it's very tough to sweep a Jay Wright team. And, you know, after that game up in Milwaukee the other night where it was pretty much pillar to post, really a dominant effort by the Golden Eagles. Jay Wright went out of his way to tip his hat to the roster building that Shaka Smart has done and just the intensity and focus that his team is playing with. Well, we got a fight on our hands there. We got fights going on all over the place here. So let's square off with this week's Big East headlines. This week, Providence extends its league-winning streak to six games, beating St. John's on the road to move to 19-2 overall, 9-1 in the conference. The Friars are the only Big East team unbeaten at home, and they're also 5-1 on the road. Wednesday, Marquette's Golden Eagles, as Kevin mentioned, pulled off a feat that previously only Butler and Creighton had been able to accomplish since the Big East recalibrated. They swept Villanova in a season series, beating the Wildcats 83-73. Justin Lewis is a prime candidate for Player of the Year and led the way with 19 points in that win. Scheduling continues to create a crowded docket. Games were played Tuesday through Friday nights this week with a Saturday triple header and a Sunday matinee coming up. And that's just one day off this week. Great for the fans, hectic for the coaches and players. Five Big East teams remain ranked in the AP and USA Today coaches top 25s this week with Villanova, Providence, Xavier, UConn, Marquette, all holding their own. In the NCAA net ranking, six teams now in the Big East are placed in the top 42. Seven are in the top 67. Eight are in the top 100 at midweek. All right, Kevin, schedule is packed. Plenty of marquee matchups still on the slate. Several teams have stars shining very brightly. What's not to like right now for someone in this league? Well, it's called opportunity, and this is what any big-time league offers from top to bottom on a nightly basis, an opportunity to win and elevate yourself in the eyes of the NCAA tournament committee, the net, all those good things. Uh, John, you mentioned the Big East in the net right now. They have five teams in the top 29. Those are great opportunities. How about Creighton going into Connecticut in Hartford, shocking the Huskies 
we have to talk about Creighton being certainly in the NCAA tournament mix. And that just further adds to the depth in the Big East right now. That's a lot of quad one opportunities coming up for everybody in the league with those five in the top 29. And I agree with you, Creighton. Right now, the Big East looks pretty strong with seven teams figuring into the mix potentially for March. It does. But, you know, every, everyone is only either opportunity for a two, three game winning streak that really, you know, shines your resume, but also that two, three game losing streak where all of a sudden you take a few steps back. If I'm Creighton, if I'm Seton Hall, you got to watch those right now. They're on, they're on the right side, I think, of our bubble, but we have a long, long way to go. Thank you to our Westwood One affiliate stations for being with us this season. Thanks for catching us on SiriusXM. If you're listening on your favorite podcast site, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Thanks to all of our podcast partners, including our podcast website, www.twitby.buzzsprout.com. Dot com. You can always listen to the show online as well at westwoodonesports.com and on bigeast.com. Inside episode five this week, as you might imagine, stepping into Big East play isn't an easy thing to do, especially when you're new to the league and the style of play. While DePaul head coach Tony Stubblefield has an outstanding record as an assistant, he is learning how unforgiving the Big East can be when you run your show. Is it better to be lucky than good? Some say Providence is lucky. Others might say they simply know what it takes to win and move on. CBS Sports' John Rothstein offers his thoughts. And speaking of those friars, Ed Cooley has put together a roster of cool customers for the stretch run. Is there a secret ingredient in their recipe for success? Coach Cooley tells us next. This week in the Big East. Coming up this week in the Big East Spotlight. Big East Spotlight. Scrug who drives left, banks it up, it will go in and out. Manaya with a rebound. Six seconds left. Up the floor is Durham. Gives it to Bynum. Scoots to the left. Fires a three. For the win! Bynum nails the three! Holy smokes! And then the whistle blows to stop the clock. He was able to get a deflection on it. Inbounds that one. to Croswell. It's over. And the Friars win for just the second time ever at the Centos Center. They beat 21st ranked Xavier 65 to 62. And welcome back to this week in the Big East. Providence has certainly been a surprise in the Big East this season, not so much because they were picked seventh in the preseason by the coaches, but because of the way they've learned to win games. In the stretch run of some real tight ones, the Friars finish. Head coach Ed Cooley joins us this week in the Big East. Ed, is finishing something that is teachable, or is it something that it's an acquired trait maybe with most players, including your own? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, you've been there. You've done that. You're trying to always talk about late game execution in your, in your preparation of games. You know, when you're going over, you know, when you're going over late game scenarios, up two, down one, down three, down four, up four, um, you know, it's a credit to the staff and what we've been trying to teach all year. And, um, you know, these guys have been able to uh, execute a game plan. Uh, Coach, can we take you back to uh, maybe the spring and, and early summer where you're building this roster, end up grabbing two impactful transfers in Al Durham and Justin Manaya? There's so many guys available in the transfer portal at the time. How did you kind of dig down on these two guys and settle on these two guys as, as focuses? Let's first start with Manaya. Um, as far as, you know, in the Big East, we've always had a big guard, whether it be David Duke and or Junior Lamumba or Chris Dunn. Um, you know, even go back to Josh Fortune, wasn't as physical imposing yet. It was about 6'4", 6'5", to guard the multidimensional players like 
you know, Seton Hall has, a Villanova has, a, a Marquette has. So we needed somebody who can guard one through four. Then we knew we were losing David. You know, who can come in and be a scoring threat, not so much just a point guard, but somebody who could lead, somebody who had great experience. And those are the things. And, you know, we recruited Al in high school. Um, so we also had a relationship there and kind of knew as it. Those are the things that we were looking for and uh, we were fortunate to find. So basically, as a, as a follow-up to that, then, Coach, you know, uh, for future prospects, you do identify kids that you've already had some kind of a relationship with, maybe decided it wasn't the right fit for them at first, and if they're interested in transferring, you try to re-engage. You try to go that route if you're fortunate, you know, and as, you know, the older we're getting and, and the more we're seeing, you know, we're trying to look at what's in the DNA of the individual that you're looking for. Are they tough? Are they open-minded? Are, you know, is it about them? Do they make it about the team? So those are the things we try to target. It don't always happen, but, you know, if we're fortunate and we have that relationship, it's that much easier, easier in the process. Ed, when did you think that this team had a chance? Was it in the preseason or maybe one of those early season eye-opening victories, maybe, maybe at Wisconsin, which is a win that certainly has, has stood up quite well? I would say Wisconsin is a barometer because of, the, you know, how hard the game was and how physical it was. And I would also say the conversation throughout the summer. Now, you know, you knew you would have some ups and downs and we still have a long way to go. You know, at some point adversity hits, um, but our players have been able to respond to that. And I keep coming back to this. And I think the it factor with this group has been on maturity. And these young men have played in all have played in 115 plus games. Mm. So, you know, it, it's a lot of it that goes with that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's mm -hmm. a lot of it in it. And, and these players have responded. Friar head coach Ed Cooley joining us this week in the Big East. Coach, because of this it factor that you talk about, has this changed college basketball for the foreseeable future? Are other teams going to copy what you're doing and try to stay as old as they can? I think you're going to see college basketball do that in general. Um, uh, you know, let's let's face it. The super freshmen are always going to be involved with playing time and more and more kids are looking for playing time. And if you could, if you can do that in your freshman year or sophomore year, great. If not, coaches are going to try to look elsewhere to see if they can, you know, get some experienced players on the floor. And as uh, Providence's start, best start in a generation uh, with which e each victory, each week, pressure, outside influences, keep building. I wouldn't say this is new for you because you've had certainly some very good teams in your time at Providence, but how do you guard against that? For example, right now, Providence has a two-game lead in the Big East. I'm sure some fans will say, wow, we can win the regular season championship. How do you approach that with your team? As the leader, I think you have to always talk about being in the moment. And, you know, I sent a text last night to the men, you know, on our group, uh, our group chat you know, about things we got to improve on, you know, and, you know, I, I, when speaking to Matt Painter, Matt Painter and I speak a lot, we talk about how do we improve on winning? You know what I mean? Why are we winning? Let's talk about that. Why are we winning? Let's not talk about, you know, Big East championships. Let's not talk. How are we winning? Why are we winning? And how do we continue to improve on that? And that's the picture you talk about. I mean, the obvious, the kids know, the kids know, I mean, you know, they follow it. I don't even think you need to talk about it. And now it's not the time to talk about it. We're getting ready to go into it, uh, you know, on the road. Any game on the road is going to be difficult. So that's what you be in the moment. Always talk about the moment. They know what's at stake. They know they're in first place. They know who's winning and who's losing. So I think it's repetitive to, you know, bring it to their thought. 
All right, Ed, so we'll stay in the moment with you. If you could change your team and do one thing better than you're currently doing it, what would it be? Obviously, rebounding, transition defense, you know, not, you know, clean up our execution uh, in the half-court offense because when we're in transition, we're pretty good. Um, I would say those things I would, you know, I'm going to continue to talk about, you know, decision-making, um, you know, there's still a lot for us to improve on. And those are the things that we're going to concentrate over the next three days before we get down to DC to play a very determined Georgetown team. You know, and I think this was a conversation I heard with Nate Watson and, and it resonated with me. The difference between last year and this year with Providence is many different things, personnel being number one, but not being in front of fans in front of, you know, the Dunkin' Donut Center crowd. Uh, you've been outspoken about the impact of those crowds this year. Uh, how much has that helped your team to, to re-engage in real college basketball, unlike last year? Oh, great question, Kev. Great, great question. Because, you know, it's, it's it's human behavior, you know. And when you get that energy behind you from a home crowd, just look at the home crowds that have been generated in college sport this year in men's basketball. You know, you look at the crowd that was at the Texas Tech-Texas game. You look at, you know, the Pfizer form in the Villanova game last night. You look at the Dunkin' Donuts Center in our game against Texas Tech, against University of Rhode Island, you know, uh, you know, against Marquette. You know, I mean, it, it, I mean, that energy begets energy, and man, it's 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 worth three, four, five, five points a game. You have a go-to guy down the stretch run in Al Durham. We spoke about him just a little bit uh, a couple of moments ago. When we we're talking about your transfers, but uh, if there's a clutch gene on any one of your players, I would say that Al probably has that. He went one for 10 from the floor against St. John's and then yet nailed 12 of 13 from the free throw line. You don't teach that, do you? No, you know, and if you look at what Al's been able to bring to us and look at a, a lot of our late game shots, late game execution, he's he, he's involved with a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it. You know, I don't look at shooting percentages when I look at Al Durham. I know he is a big basket maker, big decision maker, big impact player for us. You know, his shooting numbers could be better. Absolutely. But if you're constantly on men about what they can't do, A, they lose faith. But, that you know, you don't see the greatness of what they can do when the game is on the line. And that's what I'm concerned about. Not concerned. That's what I'm excited about with Al Durham and some of our other players. That's Providence head coach Ed Cooley, who may not only be a strong candidate for Big East Coach of the Year, but perhaps National Coach of the Year as well. Next up, who's hot? The players of the week, the players to watch, and our blast from the Big East past. Next, this week in the Big East. Coming up, who's hot? This week in the Big East. Who's hot? On the right wing with the ball, Manaya kicks the ball back out to Durham, finds Justin for three right side. Good! Manaya ferries the three. Welcome back to This Week of the Big East. John Rook with Kevin McNamara, Player of the Week this week. May not be a name that you're terribly familiar with, but we did talk to this young man earlier this season, Kevin. Justin Manaya of Providence, with all-around contribution helping the Friars really to a pair of wins against ranked league opponents this past week and played all 80 minutes in those games as well. 14.6 rebounds, a couple of blocks, and a big win against then number 22 ranked Marquette. Justin Manaya is the kind of guy, Kevin, as we spoke with him earlier this year, he may be the preeminent glue guy on any team in, uh, in the country right now. 
Well, John, we all know that you and I have great foresight and vision, and we, we could see Justin <laughs> Minaya and his impact at Providence. No, seriously, by the week, you can see Justin Minaya getting more comfortable, getting more impactful with the Friars. And if you like defensive ball players, watch what Justin Minaya does on a nightly basis. He's, a, he's attached to the best players in the Big East, whether it's a, a Justin Lewis, whether it's Julian Champagny, uh, over and over, it's the biggest, best player on the, the opposing team. And boy, the transfer from South Carolina is certainly stepping up. Freshman of the week this week, uh, we've mentioned him previously, Seamus Lukosius from Butler, 13 and a half points and four rebounds in a perfect week for the Bulldogs. So, you know, there are four or five that we've talked about throughout the course of this season that are beginning to sort of put their head above the rest of the crowd. And Lukosius is definitely in that category. Yeah, Lukosius and, and the two kids from Creighton, I, I would say those are the front runners right now for the Big East Rookie of the Year. But Lukosius is certainly a building block for Butler going forward. On the honor roll this week, again, familiar names. We'll start with R.J. Cole from UConn at 25 points in a road win at DePaul in what was then a perfect week for the Huskies. Justin Lewis from Marquette. He was last week's player of the week, had 33 points, the career high in their win at Seton Hall. He averaged 23 points and seven and a half rebounds in Marquette's week, only blemished by that two-point loss at Providence. Justin Lewis, uh, I think he's one of the top five players in the in the league right now. I think he's one of the better young players in the country, slowly opening some eyes. It would be curious as the All-American team start to get mentioned, who will join Colin Gillespie out of the Big East in that conversation? It just may be Justin Lewis. He might be. Curious to note, though, that Marquette lists him as a redshirt freshman, even though he's in his second year of eligibility because of the extra year of eligibility that the NCAA is giving everybody for COVID. Uh, Posh Alexander, St. John's, sophomore, had 19 19- Point seven rebounds, five assists, three steals, one of those all-around games in a win at Seton Hall. But this past week against Providence, he went off career highs, 29 points, 12 assists. Well, St. John's is a dangerous team, John. The way they play, the style they play, the frenetic style they play. If Posh Alexander is playing at a high-end rate and Julian Champagny can play alongside him, that's been the missing piece. Those two guys need to play at a great level together. Again, they remain a dangerous team. You mentioned missing pieces. Derek Dixon from Villanova might be one of those as well. The Richard sophomore for the Wildcats gets on the honor roll, 13 points and eight and a half rebounds in what was a perfect week for Nova. So Eric Dixon, if he's a force and he gives Villanova the presence inside, look out for the Cats down the stretch. Eric Dixon and Brandon Slater. Those two guys are really vital for Villanova. Uh, uh, Slater was very good in the loss. At Marquette, I believe he led them in scoring with 18. The combination of the two of them needs to be more consistent. And one more on the honor roll, Jack Nungy, Xavier, 15 and a half points, eight and a half rebounds, and had a couple of blocks uh, for the uh, Musketeers. Also shot 67% from the floor. Nungy got great range, got great ability inside as well. John, did you see the comeback, the Xavier comeback? Against Creighton, wow, Uh, just an amazing second-half comeback. Sparked by Nunji, he had all 16 of his points in that second half. Our Big East blast from the past this week, celebrating 40 years of great moments inside Madison Square Garden at the Big East Tournament jumps into the Wayback Machine, 1984. Ewing tipped it back to Williams. No, sir. Michael Graham in there. He tried to go up with it. Hawkins comes away, and the foul is called, and Graham is held off. Hawkins is upset, and I believe he's just ejected him. There's the forced jump shot. Great rebound in here by Michael Graham. 
Ooh, maybe now we're gonna, saw well, the swing. Dick Paparo might have called it a flagrant foul. Now he is meeting in the forecourt. We have a huddle of the three officials. They're calling a two-shot. Potential, that's all. It's Syracuse Georgetown final, and it is as heated as you might expect from two rivals playing for a championship. But this game may be remembered as much for what didn't happen as for what actually happened. Syracuse's Andre Hawkins battled Georgetown's Michael Graham for a rebound with the Orange up by three late in regulation. They got tangled up, and as Hawkins fell to the floor, Graham appeared to swing at him and missed. The officials could have ejected Graham, but didn't, and instead called an intentional foul, awarding free throws, and both players stayed in the game. The Hoyas then rallied to tie with a lot of emotion, and Graham still on their side, and they eventually beat Syracuse in overtime 82 to 71. Kevin, as a Syracuse grad, I know that game stands out in your memory for all the wrong reasons, but man, this is a great example of how physical, how emotional the Big East Championship can get. John, you said the right word there, emotion. So many great Big East tournament memories, but a championship game like that, with the emotion literally spilling onto the floor, going into overtime. I know one man in central New York who still remembers that game really well and doesn't feel good about it. I think his name is Bayheim. <laughs> Bayheim. <laughs> uh, Mike Trangisi was then the associate commissioner, went in to kind of calm Jim down in the locker room, and, and he ended up spitting at Mike and, and, and say, I didn't spit at you. Well, Mike Trangisi knows spit in your face when he sees it. And Mike just walked out. He said Jim was inconsolable. Hey, and you can be a part of future memories like these. Single session tickets are now on sale for the 40th anniversary of the Big East Tournament at Madison Square Garden. Takes place March 9th through 12th. Ticketmaster.com is the place to go. We're still a few weeks away from tourney time. In the meantime, still a lot to learn about this league and how to navigate through it. We'll get the story from a coach running his first lap around as DePaul's Tony Stubblefield joins us next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East Focus. Big East Focus. Ten seconds on the shot clock. Here's David Jones. Pull up pop. He hits it. The Blue Demons in year one of the Tony Stubblefield era go into Louisville and take down the Cardinals. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. You know, this is about the time of year where coaches learn how unforgiving the Big East Conference can truly be. Coaches also learn that no one's going to feel sorry for you when things don't go as well as you'd like or when you have the target growing on your backside after a hard-fought win. DePaul's Tony Stubblefield is working his way through the Big East for the first time this season as a head coach. He joins us this week in the Big East. So, Tony, as you take over a program here, which has really been the hardest part? What has been the hardest part of all the adjustments that you invariably have to make? Is it you adjusting to your players or is the players adjusting to you? You know, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, it's a little bit of both. You know, the players getting to know me, me getting to know the players um, and just developing them and working with them as young men and then them getting to know my style, um, how I'm going to coach them. So I think it's a little bit of both. We've got to be a little give and take on both ends. So, Tony, last spring when you came to DePaul, obviously roster building was a major challenge with the transfer portal and all the other things that are swirling around college basketball. Curious how much of a challenge that was and also how much confidence you have in building a winning roster at DePaul. Well, you know, I, I tell you what the challenging part of that was, is not being able to go on the road during the pandemic. So, you know, again, as an assistant, I was used to being able to go out and see quite a few of these kids and really lay my eyes on them. So when I got the job last April, um, 
it was basically recruiting a lot of high school seniors or really junior college players or kids out the portal that you had never really physically had a chance to see play. So that was very challenging, I would say, and I'm um, trying to put the best roster we could put together for this year without seeing some of the kids. But um, again, you know, there, there's so much synergy. There is a lot of film that you can get a lot of information that you need, but it's nothing like, you know, developing those relationships in person, getting the chance to see a young man play in person and all of those things. So just not being able to go on the road once you first got the job was, you know, a bit challenging. Obviously, you know, during the summer, the NCAA lifted the rules. We were able to go out and see kids for this year that we were able to recruit. So that definitely has helped. And um, just getting to lay my eyes on some young men and kind of how I want to play in the system that we want to play here at DePaul. Um, moving forward, I have great confidence that we definitely can get this program turned around and going in the right direction. Um, Obviously, it's going to take a lot of hard work. Um, the Big East is an unforgiving league. It's one of the best leagues. It's not the best league in the country. So I do realize the challenge that I have ahead of me. I realize that coming into this job. But I have all the confidence in the world with the leadership we have with Dwayne Peavy, the new athletic director, the administration, um, DePaul, the city of Chicago, that we can definitely get this program turned around and get it going in the right direction. Tony Stubblefield, the head coach at DePaul, joining us this week at the Big East. So, Tony, I, I guess really, in, in all honesty, when you first realized that you were going to coach in this league as head coach at DePaul with the tradition and the, uh, and the you know, uh, the, the, the reputation that DePaul has had over the last few years in college basketball circles, what did you tell these young men that you were trying to recruit to put into this program at least to get started here? What was your selling point? In fact, you might even sell Kevin and I right now. What makes DePaul DePaul and what uh, do you feel like you can bring to the table to help return DePaul to what it once was? Obviously getting this program turned around and DePaul's got great tradition. It's got great history. Now it's been a while since a lot of those things have happened since Mark Aguirre was here, since right. Rod Strickland was here, Terry Cummings was here, but DePaul has had great success before in the past. You know, me being from Iowa, I was familiar with that success watching DePaul growing up, watching WGN. So I was familiar with Coach Myers' teams, mm -hmm. um, his son's teams. I was familiar with Pat Kennedy got the job here and Quentin Richardson and Bobby Simmons and some of the great players that they had here. So it can be done here at DePaul. It's been proof. So it's not like I'm trying to reinvent the wheel of being somewhere where it's never been done. Now, obviously, you're going to have to work tirelessly to make this happen again. But we got a great product that we're selling. We have a great city in Chicago. We have a great recruiting base with the talent here in the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois. We can recruit nationally to Chicago. You can get straight flight from anywhere in the country, basically to Chicago. So you can recruit nationally. You can take a look at the junior college ranks. You can take a look at the portal. And I think you got to mix all those things in to be able to get a program turned around in this day and age. So, you know, getting a great education here at DePaul University, the city of Chicago, we have everything that it takes to be successful. Now we got to go out and do our part and do our job and roll up our sleeves and work tirelessly to make it happen. Well, John, we certainly have spent plenty of time in O'Hare and Midway, and you're absolutely right. DePaul can certainly be a national program with that type of flexibility. So, Tony, with your team, Javon Freeman-Liberty got off to a great start scoring-wise. He's been injured for the last few games. How has your team adjusted, and what kind of a role and responsibility has David Jones taken on? 
Well, you know, obviously with Javon being out for the last four or five games, it's been more challenging for us and other guys have had to step up a little bit more because, you know, he was carrying such a big scoring load. He's not just scoring, rebounding the basketball, making plays for others, that now you're missing 27, 27 points out there, seven rebounds and four or five assists, right. and a guy that was your primary ball handler. So it's definitely a grind. It's been more challenging without him. But it's like I told the other guys, this is the reason you chose to come to the pond and play in the Big East is for these opportunities, and we just need to have some other guys step up. Um, David Jones has been doing a solid job. Um, he was hit for a couple of weeks in some COVID protocols. So I think he's still trying to get his feet back underneath him and get his rhythm. But he, he, he was off to a very solid start and hit a little bump in the road. And I'm sure he'll get his confidence back going and, you know, get back to playing the way he was before he went into the COVID protocol. Well, four of your last five games, Coach, have come against top 20 ranked teams or, you know, top 15 ranked teams somewhere in there. And you actually got one of those wins. You won uh, against Seton Hall back on the 13th of last month. But there are also a couple of other games that could have gone your way that didn't. So how do you coach your guys over the hump? So many coaches talk about getting over that hump to where they can start producing consistently how tough a job is that really? Well, you know, what the young men got to realize is, yes, it's one or two point games, four or five point game, but it's a game of possession. So it's again, you know, you, you can't blow possessions in the first half of a game, in the first five minutes of the game. These games are going to come down to possessions and every possession is very critical. So again, it could be a mixed box out in the first half that you give up four to six points yep. that you, it comes back to haunt you. It could be missing eight to nine free throws in a game that comes back to haunt you where you lose a three or four point game. So all of those things are important. You're trying to get a program back on track and you're trying to win a game in the Big East, which is an unforgiving league where you're going to be challenged night in and night out. It could be a matter of unforced turnovers, leaving the fast break point. So all of those things come into play. Um, a lot of these things we can control and we just got to do a better job of it. Tony, I've admired your recruiting chops from long distance in your years at Oregon and before that at Cincinnati and a few other stops. I'm curious, with all your connections back in the Big East at the same time, have there been any major surprises in your mind? Anything caught you off guard now seeing the Big East on a nightly basis? Well, you know, I, I was in the Big East back with Mick Cronin at the University of Cincinnati when Cincinnati came to the Big East. So I was familiar with the Big East. But being at Oregon for 11 years and being on the West Coast, you know, you, you kind of lose track of it somewhat. But just the competitiveness in the league, um, the physicality of the league and just the coaching, you know, you're going against great coaches night in and night out. You know, you're going against veteran teams that, you know, have 50 year guys, some of them with six years due to the COVID and getting the extra year. So just the experience and the, you know, the body. So it's a very, very good league where you're going to be challenged night in and night out. And you got to physically, you know, physically be ready for this league. Coach, what do you like about your own team? Right now, I mean, you know, everybody likes to talk about the negatives, and I suppose that's what fans normally like to do when things don't go their way. What do you like about this team right now and their competitiveness, and where do you feel like you can build for the immediate future? You know, one thing I do like about our team is I think our team is competing. Yep. Night in and night out, I think they're going out there and they're laying it on the line. Obviously, that isn't resulting in as many wins as we would like to have, but I don't think they're giving in to it. I think they're going out and they're fighting for 40 minutes. Um, now we got to fight and we got to play smart for 40 minutes at the same time. But that is one thing I like about our guys, their stick to itness of just trying to stay with it, staying together, and just coming to practice to get better day in and day out. 
with them not getting the results that we want when we've been planning the biggies. You know, a lot of times guys could give into it and just go south with it, but our guys are coming to work every day and trying to get better. Thanks again to DePaul head coach Tony Stubblefield for joining us. So far this season, the Big East has been well represented in the polls and the national conversation. So just where does the league stack up among the country's elite? CBS Sports' John Rothstein joins us for his lowdown next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the National Perspective. The National Perspective. Scoop shot by Rice is no good, and the rebound comes down to Wheeler. To Alexander, St. John's quickly in transition. Three ball to Wusu. Big no! Still in a day, Wusu with a three-point shot from the left side. 30-second timeout, Georgetown, as St. John's suddenly up 63-43. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. This is only February, and we sleep in May. <laughs> Does that best describe a college basketball coach's lament on a long season? Perhaps his current plight with a lot of late nights coaching, studying, and teaching? Or are they descriptive phrases that best suit a noted college hoop reporter who knows we still have a long way to go with little time to rest? CBS Sports Network analyst and reporter John Rothstein joins us this week in the Big East. So, John, let's start with where uh, you were located Tuesday night this week. St. John's. Providence against the Red Storm at St. John's. Much of the national narrative is called the Friars lucky. Do you buy into that or did you at one time? Well, you know, John and Kevin, obviously great to be with you, first of all, as always. Kevin, I just want to say it's great to finally talk to you in person after all these years. (laughs) (laughs) But in all seriousness, guys, somebody told me a long time ago that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So if Providence, after that win on Tuesday against St. John's, is 8-0 this season in games decided by five points or less, you know, it's just really a time to tip your cap to the Friars for their end-of-game execution. And, John, I was thinking about this you know, courtside in Queens, Al Durham was one of 10 against St. John's from the field, mm-hmm. but in the final 60 seconds of the game was six of six yep. from the foul line. Yep. So people can say all they want. The bottom line is this. You guys have been on the Providence beat, you know, longer than anybody. A dream season right now is emerging for Providence. Now it doesn't mean there's going to be a dream ending, but right, right. now a dream season is unfolding for the Friars. You know, John, I'll continue with a Friar question. They do seem to be a little overlooked. Not quite sure why. Uh, Again, John Rook's lucky question has certainly kind of bloomed in Friar Town the last three weeks, and and it's now a a, a point of pride for some extent. Uh, I'm curious, (laughs) National Coach of the Year, is Ed Cooley in that discussion? Could he be in that discussion by March? Well, it's funny you bring that up. Kevin, I'm going to make a little plug here. I have coming out in my daily column, The Breakfast Buffet at collegehoopstoday.com, a long, long summary of why Ed Cooley deserved the National Coach of the Year candidate. And look, you can make the case for Bruce Pearl without question. Mm -hmm. You can make the case for somebody, I think, like Kelvin Sampson, who has lost two starters and, you know, the three of us know has been one of the best coaches in college basketball. But I think if we're going to talk about guys like that or you're going to talk about guys like Tommy Lloyd at Arizona, with all due respect, you know, Ed Cooley does not have a Ben Matherin like they have at Arizona. And this is with all due respect to the Providence players. But we are seeing right now, I think, you know, an excellence in end of game execution that needs to be talked about because, you know, Providence, again, is also doing this with a roster that has not been together Arizona has a brand new coach, 
But that nucleus of players was in the Wildcats program last year and was coached and tutored by Sean Miller. So here's the thing, you know, about the the whole roster idea, and I'm glad you brought that up, John, because you know, clearly this looks to be the way that college basketball is going to go, at least for the foreseeable future, because of the inclusion of the transfer portal and the the need for teams to be older. And we've seen where older, more experienced teams have certainly got a leg up on younger teams. Yeah. So is this helping or hurting the game right now at, at this juncture, based on on what you're thinking? Look, I think it's a catch twenty two. I think you're going to have really good obviously benefits from the transfer portal from a winning situation. And I think, you know, it's going to go the other way too. I think you're going to have different scenarios based on the circumstance. And I'll give you an example. Providence has got a team right now, really with the exception of AJ Reeves and Nate Watson, that is built on transfers and they're having obviously a dream season. If you look at a team like Texas, who Chris Beard obviously took over and really everybody thought was just dominating the transfer portal they look like a team that has too many players and too many mouths to feed. So I think we're going to see a little bit of a seesaw in that effect. My thing, John, and I think, you know, Kevin, I'm curious to get your take on this as well. I just want to know what the rules are because nobody is obviously giving us any type of clarity what the rules are. I am somebody who was raised by two teachers and two educators. So I was raised, you know, to value education. So I felt that, you know, if these kids were transferring and obviously not that many players are going to go to the NBA and fewer players are going to graduate, that we were doing a disservice to the young men and women who maybe weren't going to be able to graduate on time. With that said, I understand, okay, despite that, despite all the benefits that happen when you redshirt a season, like somebody like Jared Bynum or like some of the guys we've seen in the past at a place like Villanova, I understand why a universal transfer rule makes sense. What I don't understand is how we still have circumstances, why there are waivers involved. The, the deal was supposed to be if you want to transfer one time in your college career, you can transfer without obviously having to sit out, which I get. And I think if you add a notification date like May 1st, there would be obviously a way to kind of make this somewhat stable. But now we've seen there are so many different players transferring once and being immediate eligible and then transferring again because they can file a waiver. That, to me, is the gray area that's the issue in this whole thing, guys. John, John I'm totally with you. I think the waiver process really needs to be shut down for hugely extenuating circumstances only. And how about this? I think we're going to look back three, four years from now, and there'll be one stat that no one really follows that's going to blow our minds. And it's going to be the number of kids who go into the portal and don't find a home. I know it's rampant in college football. Yeah. Uh, I think in basketball, we're going to see that as well. But it just look at the teams at the top of, of the polls. Uh, Auburn has impact transfers. Kentucky impact yeah. transfers. Houston. I mean, it, it's that's going to get the attention because those are all success stories. But there's a lot of situations where things aren't working out as well. You know, and Kevin, that's a great point because I also think, and this is one thing that's interesting, that, again, it's not getting talked about, but, you know, we got you and I, could, the three of us could find a pub and we could talk about this for hours. <laughs> you know, preferably the Brick Alley pub in Newport. But I think one thing <laughs> to talk about, too, is there are less coaches right now using the full allotment of scholarships because they know they can't keep 13 guys happy. So yep. what we're seeing, you know, one program in the Big Ten that said, you know what, we're going to take our best 10 or 11 we're going to find two good walk-ons who can participate in practice and who want to be a part of our program. And that's all we're going to do because players used to 
obviously have 13 scholarships because a lot of coaches or programs used to have 13 scholarships because coaches like to redshirt guys and use them in practice and get them bigger and stronger. John Rothstein joining us from CBS Sports Network this week of the Big East. All right, so uh, if not Providence, um, Villanova certainly seems to be at the top of the list. UConn stumbled a bit earlier this week as well. Who else from the Big East really should be getting or are you thinking needs to, to have some consideration here as a serious contender? The team you guys saw on Sunday, and that's Marquette. I mean, I use the term reincarnation, but I think you guys would both agree. This is the shock of smart that became a national star, not just in college basketball, but in all yeah. of sports when he was at VCU. I think, you know, one of the things that Shaka had issues with Texas was when you're at Texas, you're you're supposed to obviously recruit the best players in the country and you're in recruiting wars with Duke and with Kentucky. But you guys know this, those players who obviously are using college as a stop off for a year or two because they have so many individual goals that aren't involved with the college that they're playing for. It's tough to coach those guys like players who just want to do what's best for your program in the front of the jersey. And I think we're seeing right now pedigree with the players that Jock is coaching. John, I'm curious, besides Villanova, maybe Providence, who do you think can be a second weekend team for the Big East? And I think we all know that the Big East needs more second teams, second weekend teams not named Villanova. Yeah, you know, early in the season, I would have said Seton Hall. They've really missed Bryce Aiken. But, you know, I believe, even though they really stubbed their toe earlier in the week, that the team that might have the highest ceiling in the Big East is Connecticut. I mean, that's the deepest front court in all of college basketball. They've got a veteran point guard in R.J. Cole. They've got an all-Big East player in Tyrese Martin. The one thing that I think has to happen for Connecticut to go from a team that can separate itself among Big East teams is to get consistent pop out of Jordan Hawkins. He's done it in spurts, but this is somebody that if he can be an 8 to 12 point per game guy, Connecticut with the right draw could be in the Sweet 16, but obviously a disappointing loss on Tuesday against Creighton. That's CBS Sports Network's John Rothstein. Who's got next? What games on the schedule? What might be at stake? We know, and that's next. This week in the Big East. Coming up, who's got next? This week in the Big East. Who's got next this week in the Big East? Tyrese will dribble it across the timeline to Cole. Deep in the left corner, it's Hawkins for three. Got it! And the Huskies, quick hitters and three-point shots have given them an 11-point lead, 25-14. John Rook, Kevin McNamara, this week in the Big East. The upcoming schedule, going to feature some good ones. We'll start it off this weekend with UConn playing at Villanova, a noon start at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Yeah, the Nova Wildcats coming off of the loss. UConn also coming off a loss. A survival battle, if you will, already on February the 5th. On the weekend as well, Kevin, Sunday, matinee, Providence gets to go to Georgetown. And Coach Cooley was telling us a little bit earlier, you know, Georgetown, you can see him getting better and better. When are the Hoyas going to break through? Break through. He hopes that it isn't this Sunday. No question. Difficult game for Providence. You know, go on the road. Georgetown has done an excellent job, gotten very close a few times against the best teams in the league. I agree with Coach Cooley. They're going to break through at some point. On Tuesday, Villanova at St. John's back at Madison Square Garden and then another battle of, uh, I guess, survivors, if you will, fighting for first place in the league. Marquette will play at UConn at the XL Center in Hartford. God bless the Huskies and Dan Hurley, Villanova and Marquette back to back. 
Is there a more difficult stretch in the country yeah. that the Huskies about to tackle? Yeah, totally agree with that one, by the way. And, and then Butler as well plays at Creighton on Tuesday. Wednesday, pretty good game as well. Xavier plays at Seton Hall. And if you're the Pirates, you want to prove yourself at home. John, I think that's another game at lovely Waltz Gym. The first time around for Seton Hall against St. John's, it didn't go well. They, they need to grab this game against Xavier. All right, so that's what really is on the immediate schedule, subject to change, of course, and everything else that we've had going on in the Big East Conference. Check your local listings, as they say. Our thanks to Providence head coach Ed Cooley, DePaul head coach Tony Stubblefield, and CBS Sports Network's John Rothstein for joining us this week. Thanks to our flagship radio stations for their broadcast and highlight assistance. Thanks to producer Kevin Collins, executive producers John Paquette, Rick Gentile, and Kevin Ivany at the Big East. Thanks to the coaches and administrators at all 11 member institutions. For Kevin McNamara, I'm John Rook. You can find us on Twitter, at JR Broadcaster, at Kevin McNamara 33. Send us your questions if you have them. Use the hashtag TWITBE. Twit me. Stay safe out there. We'll be here again same time next week for This Week in the Big East. Thanks for listening to This Week in the Big East. Special thanks to our member schools as well as their athletic departments. This Week in the Big East is produced by Kevin Collins. The executive producers are John Paquette and Rick Gentile. Be sure to join us next week for the latest edition of This Week in the Big East.